Welcome to this Sunday school class that was held on July 26th of 2020. In this class, we discuss the person and work of Jesus Christ, a large topic for 50 minutes together. I hope you'll enjoy, and uh, it is part lecture, part discussion. Thanks for stopping in. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Long time no see. Hello, Judy. Hi, that sweetie. Is, How are you? Fine. That is true. Long time no see you. Yes. I just saw yes. Lynn this morning. Yes. Great morning. <laughs> that was fun. It was nice to have a breeze. Did you see the sparrow flying around while well, Mary was singing? That I was did. wonderful. And, you know, I need to confess, Lynn. To a really caustic sense of humor, I thought, oh, please don't let that bird run into the wall. Oh, <laughs> and then, and your dog got very interested. That's dark. <laughs> I know. It's dark. <laughs> Sounds like something I'd say. <laughs> I was like, please, not while he's singing this beautiful song. Oh, no. <laughs> and he didn't. He just He did he not. He swooped. It's very pretty. Right. And your dog loved it? She did. She did. I've got it. it on my iPad. She, uh, she's a big worshiper. That dog, big. She's real into worship. Yeah, you can tell. Uh huh. <laughs> Good morning, folks. As you're arriving, it's nice to see you. Hi, Shane. Hey. You want? This? I don't want to be seen because I'm not dressed. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm hearing Nancy Robinson. Hi. I know that voice. Hello, Hello. there, everybody. Hello. Hi, Ken. Hello. Hi. You look like you're in a, um, what are those called? A beautiful plant room. <laughs> I call a it the solarium. A solarium. Yeah, I just call it a screen porch. Oh. <laughs> Looks great. You, you should start calling it the solarium and sound really pretentious. I'll be in the solarium. That. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. We have multiple porches at this house. We have a glass porch. We have the screen porch. We have the uh, covered porch, and we have an open porch. And so, do you try to set them all out? Where's the screen porch? On what side of the house is your screen porch? Screen porch is right off the kitchen. Aren't you still down across from the bird sanctuary? No, we moved uh, a little over a year ago. Oh. We're, on, we're on South Street now. Oh, okay. Then I I keep looking for you there. No wonder <laughs> you're not there. <laughs> you should stop shouting out the window, Lynn, when you drive past. I've been throwing eggs at that it's house. A, it's and... uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Emily. Good morning again. Good morning. Well, I'm going to give us kind of one more minute. Everybody can get situated and then we'll start. Uh, does everybody know how to get a picture, not just of yourself, if that's driving you crazy? Just go to the top right of your screen. It's, I think it's in the top right of most people's screens and you can change your view. 
so that you can see more people. Like now I've got it where I see all of you and I only see a tiny one of me, which is nice. But you can try that if you want mess with the views. Also, if you think you're gonna go use the restroom or anything, I would highly recommend that you go to the bottom left corner and press mute. <laughs> it, it saves a lot of, uh, you know, Background noise. embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> That worked in real life. Uh, wouldn't that be nice if we had a mute button for ourselves in life? So the top right changes your view and makes you, lets you see a lot of other people. And then the bottom left mutes you if you're going to do something you don't want us to all know about. Although, did you hear about the, uh, I think he was a city director somewhere maybe, and he had back-to-back -back Zoom meetings and was running out of time. And he thought it was good. He, he muted himself and then he set the laptop in the bathroom thinking he had set it away or whatever and then he showered and he had not set it fully enough away and so <laughs> they all sat on the meeting and tried to pretend to not watch him showering <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that great and that's that's <laughs> oh you know anyway it looks like john wickman's about to join us all right, as other folks join, I'll try to remember to let them in. It is so good to see each of you. Um, what we're gonna talk about today, Phil mentioned at uh, the outdoor service today is, and I mentioned last week, we're gonna talk about Jesus. And, you know, 45 minutes isn't gonna do it, but uh, I'm gonna kind of do some of the basics of what we've done as we've tried to, um, go deeper and deeper into knowledge about him. And before I offer our prayer, I wanna say, I was thinking about as I was waiting to start this meeting, um, really what we have done since Jesus walked this earth as a human is we have tried to answer the question that he asked his disciples in Mark 8. He said to them, who do people say that I am? If you remember that famous passage and they start telling him what other people have said, you know, what people have said about him and that maybe he's John the Baptist, maybe he's a prophet. Uh, and he says to them, but who do you say that I am? And we have been every good faith life seeks that answer, you know, and doesn't just seek it once, seeks it over and over again. But who do you say that I am? Jesus asked. So, we're gonna dive into that today, and I'm gonna start us off with the prayer. Lord, we are grateful for the time you give us. And we pray that um, even though we are meeting strangely, that you would be here among us. You have promised that when two or three are gathered in your name, you are present and we are gathered, Lord, and it's in your name. And so we do ask for your presence, Jesus, among us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said, uh, good morning to all of you. Um, I'm going to dive right in, and then I want to see uh, what some folks are thinking. Um, the basic premise as a Christian is not only that Jesus is at the center as we can imagine, right? Our faith is Jesus-centric, but that because Jesus is at the center, we don't even understand anything else about our faith 
except through the lens of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. So when we think about God, the creator God, we don't know, we, we as Christians don't have any other way to think about God except through the lens of he is the father of Jesus. Um, and what I mean by that is as Christians, if we hear talk about God, the creator, or if we are taught things about God, the creator, that can't find their home in the God who was also the father of Jesus, then that's not the Christian God. Does that make sense? We, we route everything through Jesus. Um, we do that pretty clearly with our scriptures when Jesus famously said all those phrases of like, you have heard it said, but I tell you, right? Those famous things. Well, that you have heard it said was scripture. He wasn't pulling out a, fam you know, a favorite poem of the day. He was pulling out scripture. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's scripture that, you know, God's word to us. And Jesus said, but I tell you, turn the other cheek, right? So we route our scriptures through the lens of Jesus. We route our understanding of God through the lens of Jesus. Uh, we cannot um, think about, we can't think about the Holy Spirit except that the spirit that Jesus promises. So it all shoots through Jesus. And so sometimes when people will, this doesn't solve everything, by the way, nothing simple, right? But sometimes when we'll pull out a really problematic scripture, like the Psalm that ends with, hey, everybody, let's bash all the baby's heads on the same stone. I mean, that's a great Psalm, right? And you're thinking, huh, I'm not going to cross stitch that on the throw pillow anytime soon. Um, and somebody might say, now, how can that be scripture for me? Uh, that can't be scripture. This is problematic. Do I have to throw the whole thing out? Right. And at least one answer that we would offer as Christians is that's scripture, but I have to route it through Jesus. I have to, I have to route it through the lens of who Jesus was and what he taught. Um, and I, and that's what helps me, uh, that's what helps me interpret that passage. I can't interpret it in a vacuum because I'm a Christian. Um, any, any thoughts about that before I get into the, I'm going to get into the hard stuff for just a minute and then I promise it's going to get easier. Anything, anything? Okay. The other thing we do know about Jesus uh, before I dive in uh, to the deep end is um, it is about Jesus is about relating to us. You know, he is my Jesus, but he's also more than my Jesus. He doesn't get to just be like my personal savior. He also is the savior of the world. And so we're always looking at that too, right? Like he's mine. Um, he came for me, but he also came for not me. And so that's always um, a good reminder for us sometimes when, it, when we can make it very me-centric, because um, why wouldn't we? We are the star of our own soap opera. So, um, so the very first statement that was ever made about Jesus, um, well, along with this one from Peter, uh, when he says, Peter's final, Peter's answer, right? When Jesus says, so who do you say that I am? And Peter famously steps up like he does, bull in a china shop. And he said, well, you are the Christ, 
the son of the living God. And if you remember, he's praised for that. He, Jesus says, good job, Peter. And then like within three minutes, uh, Peter has put his foot in his mouth. Just as an aside, you have to love Peter because um, he's bold and his boldness gets him caught flat-footed sometimes. But one of the first, besides that, you are the, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, which means anointed one. The first affirmation of faith we have about Jesus, uh, we read it, Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians, but it is simply this, Jesus is Lord. Uh, in the early church, when people would become Christians and join the early church, that's, that was the affirmation. It was, it was very simple, but it has obviously lots of things that come down from its umbrella. Jesus is Lord. And what does that mean? But, but that is the main premise. And that's still the basic cornerstone of our faith today. Jesus is Lord. Capital L. Not Lord and Surf, but Jesus is Lord. Now, for approximately, oh, you know, a thousand years, give or take, we debated what does that mean? And we still actually are today. So you could say 2000 years, but for the first thousand years, we especially debated it. And we had all these councils, which you know had committee work and you know, probably had like procedures for voting and you know, it probably wasn't a ton of fun, but they had council after council after council, all with the goal to say, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Who is Jesus for us. Who do you say that I am? And the two faith statements we came down to from all of those councils and from all of the prayers and thoughts and study of the scriptures that have been done for thousands of years are these. One is Jesus is fully human and the other is Jesus is fully divine. And finally, the church came down on if you want to spend your life trying to do that math, have fun, but we're not interested in that. We're in, that can be, that's mystery for us. But what we do hold is that Jesus is fully human and fully divine all at the same time. Um, intermingled, but not confused, uh, you know, distinct, but not separate. There's all these words that go with it, right? But it's that he's fully human and fully divine. And I want to say something about the fully human part. Um, there's actually a new book out. Has anybody read it or read about it? Sue Monk Kidd has a new book out called The Book of Longings. Has anyone read it? I've read it. Um, and it's a basically, it's a what I would call a midrash, which a midrash is when you take a scripture and there's really nothing, not much written about it and you add to the story. That's called midrash. And it's this idea that what if Jesus had a wife, uh, not Mary Magdalene, like, but what if he had a wife before he began his ministry, like in his 20s? And so it's that story. It's a novel. But the main, uh, it's, it's fine, by the way. I had a better ending. But anyway, uh, but um, one of the main points she's pointing to is that Jesus is, hum is fully human. She's, she's wrestling with that in the novel. Jesus is fully human. And if we say that, then some, some interesting things happen. 
if Jesus is fully human, not a fake human, not pretending to be human, um, not almost human, then that means he doesn't know everything. Take that in for a minute. And that means that he experienced human limitations. He can't be in all places at once. He can't not be a part of his culture. He can't not be the age he is. Like he can't not be six when he's six, right? So picture a six-year-old. He can't not be that intellectually, physically, um, until he is past six. He's fully human. Now, what in the world does that mean about um, him having the mind of God? Well, good question. <laughs> a lot of people have wondered about that, and some of them have burned at, been burned at the stake over the years um, for where they came down on it. Um, but there is, you know, as we wrestle with it, it potentially means that as he grew and matured, he also grew and matured into what God's call was in his life, into who he was in this world, and uh, what his identity was. Um, and that four-year-old Jesus was not, you know, on toddling legs, holding the mind of the cosmos on the toddling legs. <clears throat> that's one that's one take on that this starts to get really uncomfortable as you can imagine all immediately like if jesus is fully human i mean oh think about humans for a minute but but we need to be brave here because um because of a couple of things one it has everything to do with salvation it has everything to do with what jesus does for us um i want to tell you uh who didn't think he was fully human who got really uncomfortable and squeamish about the idea just so you know their name because they're really fun the docetists they said that jesus only appeared human because they needed him to be safer and tidier and so they said yeah when he was four-year-old jesus he was a four-year-old in appearance Anybody ever watch the V, like the V people back in the 80s? Okay, anyway, they would appear, Shane did, because we're of the same era, Shane. Uh, they would appear human, but oh boy, you catch them out, and all of a sudden they're not, they're the V people. Well, okay, it's like Jesus would appear to be a four-year-old, but he's really just in a shell of a human, and he's, he's this divine in a shell. So the problem with that... <laughs> Think about it for a minute. The problem with that, other than just having everything being about, oh, I faked you out, you know, haha, -ha, um, is it's most succinctly put by this guy named Greg, Greg, Gregory of Nazianzus. Greg, you need to call yourself Gregory of Fianna Hills from now on. Um, Gregory of Nazianzus, he famously said this he said, what is not assumed is not healed or redeemed. What is not assumed is not healed or redeemed. It can be translated both ways. What that means is if Jesus wasn't really, 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 I mean it for real human, then what in the world is he redeeming here? Some sort of fake human that we've never seen the likes of. Um, so if you think about salvation being this like, 
cliff. I'm making a cliff here, as you can tell. And there's a big deep chasm in the middle. And we're on one side of the cliff and the divine is on the other side of the cliff. God's on the other side of the cliff. And we are trying to get together. We were made, we talked about this last week. We were made in God's image. We were made to be in community with God. And yet there is this cliff between us, this chasm. Well, if Jesus comes to bridge that chasm, to, to be the bridge to, to get us to God, then if he is some sort of fake human, well, then just to put it in real practical matters, one leg doesn't reach. <laughs> like he's almost reaching the chasm, ugh, but, but it's not going to ever reach. He, Jesus doesn't know me if he's not really human, and he doesn't know you if he doesn't know uh, what the human condition is and how it is to live as a human, um, then what is he saving me? How, how is he saving me if he doesn't really, 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 and honestly know what it is to be human? So it, it gets us into an uncomfortable place because we're like, ooh, yeah, ah, son of God, um, ooh, you know, had questions. Son of God didn't know everything all the time. Son of God got tired and maybe angry and frustrated and hangry. You know, son of God had all of that. That makes me very uncomfortable. But it is at the core of our faith that he was fully, fully and completely. He was human. You want to talk to me? Say something about that. What if his godliness was a special version of subconscious? I mean, he's, he's fully human, and as a youth, his subconscious is fully God, but he hasn't quite developed the ability to move from one to the other. And as he grew older, then his subconsciousness became more conscious. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, yeah, almost that like calling you have from the beginning, but until you have some life experience, you don't even know it that there's a calling right. happening. You don't. Yeah, even but know. I'm really. Yeah, I, I really want it to be a, you know, a, a, a special subconsciousness, something different than what our subconscious is. Oh. You know, that's where his godness comes from. Is he's got a special subconscious that he just is is developing over the years. And so he has our consciousness, later. he has our consciousness, but he always has this like, that's what you're kind of saying, but, but there's always this subconsciousness that is different from ours. That's what I'm saying, or asking, questioning, posing. Like that. It sounds fine to me. It's probably heretical, Ken, but, uh, you. <laughs> but you know, good news, Ken, that, but I think that the, whenever we, this is just an aside, whenever we tip right onto that edge of heresy is probably when we're going deeper. It's probably when we're, uh, it's probably a really good place to be. And we don't burn people to stake anymore, so you're good. But, you know, I, I think that people, I think the concern would be if you aren't careful, that edges into not really human again, because I don't have a special subconscious. You know what I mean? Um, 
Now, we are what we're told in scripture is that Jesus is exactly like us, but without sin, right? So, and we, we can talk about that in a minute, but uh, that doesn't mean he is exactly like us, but without finitude, which we can imagine finitude. Like finitude means I want to get up today because I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> you know, that's not necessarily sin unless I, you know, punch the cat because I'm mad. You know, then we might be, although however you feel about cats, you might say that's sin or not. But um, unless I act on that feeling, is it sin? Um, so he can get tired and he can get annoyed and he can, we see that in scripture for goodness sakes. Sometimes he'll say to the disciples, one of my favorite phrases that Jesus says to the disciples, and I have used it uh, in my own home, I'll say, is he'll say, are you being willfully ignorant? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's an annoyed Jesus. Like, seriously? You mean willfully ignorant? Um, so Jesus can have all of those things, and, and that's not sin. But then where, yeah, where is the line? Uh, just two brief asides. Yes. Uh, in the apophrical Gospels, they talk about Jesus as a performing miracles as, as a child, and they talk about him striking other children dead when he was mad at them. So that's in the apophrical Gospels, if anybody wants to look that up. But the other quick aside is John Prine wrote a great song called The Missing Years, and it's about Jesus's adolescent years, where he gets together with his teenage buddies and he goes off to Rome for a while, because we know <laughs> nothing about his adolescence from the scriptures. No, we okay. don't. And I, I've always joked that anyone who's raised an adolescent knows exactly why nothing's written. <laughs> Bless them. And I love them too. You love them, but do you really want that written down? You know, yeah. Well, and even um, we read things too straight sometimes, I think, even when he's 12 and uh, gets lost, you know, they, he doesn't get lost. He's never lost, but they accidentally leave him in Jerusalem. And they have searched for their child for three days. Have you ever thought about this? I mean, they have, think about trying to sleep at night when you have still not found him, right? And you have turned back and you are doing everything you can and you are frantic. And they find him in the temple <laughs> or in the synagogue, I guess. And he's teaching and they're like, Jesus, we have been looking for you everywhere. You know, oh my gosh, you know, and he goes, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? I mean, are you kidding? That's a dig. <laughs> that's, that's, that's saying like that God is his father, but it's also a dig. You can never convince me it's not at least a little bit of a dig. Like, oh, hi, dad. I'm in my father's house. <laughs> you know, I mean, you just want to throttle the kid. You've been looking for him for three days. So, Maybe that's where he learned the term will for, will for ignorance from Maybe his father. Maybe he learned it from Joseph. Are you being willfully ignorant? Yes, exactly. Well, okay. So before I go on to the second basic premise, the second basic uh, tenet of our faith, I want to say that, so the other part about Jesus being fully human, when we say Jesus was fully human, we mean he was fully a human being, but we also mean that he shows us what full humanity can look like. Exactly. He shows us um, that this intimacy with God, I mean, he calls him Abba, right? Which we've heard since we were kids and so we pass over. But I mean, it means like dad. Daddy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not saying, mm-hmm. oh, Lord and Father of of the cosmos, mm-hmm. you know, I I shake in tremors to even to even approach you, right? No, he says, Dad, I I need some help here. You know, anyway, this intimacy that he has with God, um, this solidarity that he has with um, telling good news to sinners and to outsiders who need love, all of that, you could argue, and we would argue as Christians, that's what it is to be fully human. He is showing us what it is to be fully human. Now, will we be without sin? Not in this world. Although talk to the old school Methodists and they would say, yes, but we are reformed and we say, no, I haven't met one yet. Not in this life will we be without sin, but can we be more and more fully human as he showed us what that looks like? Yeah. Here's the second part. And you can imagine the second tenet. Jesus is fully human. He is fully divine. Uh, We believe that he wasn't, again, he's not a fake divinity. He's not almost divinity. He's not divinity with, you know, watered down. Uh, We believe that he is divinity. And so what that means, mind-blowing, is that what Jesus does, it is God doing. When Jesus forgives, it is God forgiving. When Jesus suffers, it is God suffering. It's not some, again, take our little shell. You can go the other way with this shell too. You can say, well, he had kind of this shell of divinity, but really what was going on was he was basically human. And so when there's trouble coming, um, God is not affected. There's this, there's a veil there and God doesn't feel that. Um, But we believe, (laughs) we believe that God is affected um, when Jesus suffers. God is affected uh, by what Jesus does. And even, 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 even that when Jesus dies on the cross, somehow God takes death into his own being. There is even death uh, brought in to the life of God. Um, And that when Jesus is raised, it is... God is affected by that too. It is God overcoming death. So we believe that Jesus is fully human, but we also believe he is fully divine. Um, And that God's not safe off somewhere distant, but that God is interacting and experiencing. And that that's part, that is, that's the gift right? That's the gift. God sent his only son into the world. God sent himself into the world. Aren't there, uh, aren't there several that believe that Jesus was divine until he came to the cross? Yes. And he left because God couldn't suffer on the cross. Yes. That's been a stumbling block for masses of people. Again, heresy john wickman um we have deemed that that is heresy now is it cleaner is it safer potentially i what in the world is happening on the cross when jesus says my god my god why have you forsaken me what is happening on the cross 
when Jesus dies. What's happening on the cross when we're told the curtain in the temple that separated out the the, the biggest part of the temple from the Holy of Holies, right? There was a curtain, like first class seating on an airplane, you know, you don't ever get to look behind the curtain if you aren't in first class, right? Haha. Okay, this was the whole, the whole it was more, more important than that, I must say. Uh, Holy of Holies, and you don't get into God through that curtain. And if you remember, when Jesus dies, the curtain is ripped um, in two uh, from top to bottom. What in the world is happening? And over the centuries, um, we have been so uncomfortable with the depth and breadth of what might have been happening on that cross that we've tried to clean it up. And just like John said, we've said, well, he was absolutely divine until that moment. And then he can't be touched. You know, the divine cannot experience that, so divine doesn't experience that. Um, there's also been an attempt in scripture, this is pretty fun, uh, to, there have been people who've gone through the scriptures and they've taken every single thing Jesus did and every single thing he said, and they've put it in categories. And they've said, basically, that there's this humanity and divinity that are like swooshing through Jesus at different times. And so they'll say, oh, when he healed the leper, he's divine. When he wept, he's human. Well, what I would like to point out is that's being pretty darn wussy. <laughs> Trying to think wow. of a better word. I believe, and as Christians, we seek and continue to seek understanding on this, and I, me too, I believe that God sent Jesus into the world, sent his son, so that we would not. Why can weeping not be divine? And why can healing and teaching not be human? You know, um, we're, we're, we get awfully high on our horse if we start to think that we get to speak mm -hmm. for God. And that when Jesus wept, for example, that can't, divinity cannot be involved there too much. When perhaps, in fact, the message is just the opposite. I've come to show you uh, who God really is. I really am pointing to him. Um, so I like God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. That's right. <laughs> Exactly. He walks with me and he talks with exactly. me. Exactly. So he is, so in Jesus, we get, we, and in the gospel, we read, there's this surprising redefinition of what it means to have true humanity, right? So to be truly human is this sort of intimacy with God, this, this reaching out to neighbor. Um, and it redefines the meaning of true divinity. Um, just to even ponder the possibility that divinity has taken death into itself in order to overcome it. That's a whole, uh, that's a whole new door for divinity. <laughs> that's a whole new door to open um, on what is um, divinity. Who is we, God? We haven't talked about the Holy Spirit, though. 
I know we're talking about him next week. Oh. <laughs> and you and I, you know, we have an ongoing discussion about this, oh. about how we always oh, have right. to about the Holy Spirit. It's just our okay. job. Okay. Um, I'm checking, but yes, Holy Spirit. Yep. Next week's Holy Spirit. I just checked the schedule. Yes, exactly. Because this is all involved here too. Uh, well, <clears throat> I was about to say more heresy, but okay. Let me tell you a couple of, uh, I want to do, um, there's, so that's a little bit about who Jesus is. At the basic bedrock premise, we believe Jesus is Lord. That means he's Lord of my life. That means he's Lord of this world um, and the next. Uh, and, then, and then falling from that, uh, he's fully human and he is fully divine at all times is what we came to. Now, you can have your own version of that and I'm not gonna tell anybody, it'll be great. Um, but what we've come to as orthodox, as right belief, as, as you know, the basics of Christianity is that no, he is both human and divine um, in and throughout his life. Uh, and that we learn a lot when we put it through that, we have to put it through that sieve, you know, whatever we read in the gospels, we put through that uh, sieve. But then, okay, so that's who Jesus is. Second part, um, so how does he help us? How does he save us? What is the work he does for us? And there's three main theories. Hello. And there's three main theories to that. It's okay, Em. And there's a hymn to go with each, and I'm going to do a quiz here. Not a quiz, a fun game. So the first one has a fancy word. Uh, it's Christus Victor. You've probably heard this before if you've been in class on this before, but it's Christ is the victor. Christ is victorious. And so under this heading, what Jesus does for us is actually there is this unseen or mostly unseen battle that is going on above us and around us. There is a cosmic battle of the forces of evil and of good. And that what Jesus does um, specifically on the cross and at the resurrection is he is battling those cosmic powers and he is uh, defeating them uh, to free the evil powers captives, which are us. Um, so in this um, understanding of what Jesus does, Jesus is for the most part coming into this world uh, for this sort of cosmic battle that's above us and around us. We're, we're as human beings, we're caught in crossfire as is creation, right? All of creation is suffering on, you know, in this heading and we're just kind of caught in the crossfire and then we are the recipients of Jesus winning the battle of Jesus being victorious in this cosmic battle. And so that that is what Jesus came to do and to, and to offer to this world is victory over the battle of evil of, of uh, princes and principalities, right? Here's the second one. This one will be very familiar to you. I think. Um, there's this, it's called the satisfaction model. Uh, and it's that, for example, say you are a surf, not surfing. You are an S-E-R-F, you're a surf, and you live on some feudal Lord's lands, right? So in that old feudal model, um, any act of disobedience by the surf uh, dishonors the Lord of the manor. It looks bad 
it, it reflects badly on the board of the manor and it has to be satisfied. So the serf, if the serf does something wrong, the Lord is dishonored, little L Lord is dishonored, and there must be satisfaction given by that serf to make the relationship right again. And so in that model, uh, they take that and they make it whoo, worth all the marbles. Um, and so there is uh, the Lord, capital L Lord at this time, um, is dishonored. God is dishonored when we act wrongly and satisfaction must be given to make the relationship right again. But we can't do it because the dishonoring is like infinity. <laughs> it's like, it's just the, the, the debt is so high, there's no way we can pay it. And so God chooses to pay it for us in Jesus. And so honor is restored. Justice is done uh, and satisfaction is given. And that way the relationship can be made right again. Okay, that's the satisfaction model. And then the last one, and then we're gonna do our game show, is one called like moral influence. And it's that what Jesus was doing in this world and what he does for us is he reconciles us to God because he shows us, um, he shows us that by following God's love, or sorry, he shows us the way to God. He shows us, um, he is so compelling in the way he lives his life he is so compelling in the true humanity he shows us that we want to follow him and respond in gratitude and, and live under his influence. And so like the saving is this moral influence. He, he influences our everyday life. Um, and in that way shows us the way um, to God. <clears throat> Any questions about those three models before we, before I uh, give you a little, <laughs> that satis the satisfaction model that middle one or and versions of it are probably the most common it's probably the most common one um christ died on the cross to save me from my sin right that that's a that's a rephrasing of a version of that satisfaction model i could not pay the price and so Christ paid it for me. And in so doing, we are reconciled. I'm reconciled to God now. God's honor. And then the old school way of saying that is like God's honor is restored. Um, I want to know, I'm going to have three very popular hymns. And I'm going to read you a verse of them. And I want you to tell me, because our hymns are sometimes the best working out of our beliefs, are our hymns. Um, and so I want you to tell me which of the three ways Jesus saves us, which one you think it's speaking to. This first one is, a mighty fortress is our God. And this is verse three. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. What do you think? 
the first one. Victor. Krista's Victor? Yes. Exactly. Um, it's not a hard quiz. Uh, exactly. So uh, Martin Luther is taught, who wrote the hymn, he is talking about a world that is fill, filled with devils and, um, and that there is this cosmic battle going on. And see, he says at the end of that verse, one little word shall fell him, shall fell evil, the devil. And then the first four is a working out of what in the world could that be? Well, what in the world could that word be? And the word is Jesus, um, that Jesus wins the cosmic battle. So see, we have that in one of our kind of most sung hymns. We have this Christus Victor model. Now, here's another one. You'll know this one too. Oh, sacred head now wounded. This is verse two. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor and grant to me thy grace. It's a beautiful hymn. Which one is that? Is it a world with devils filled? Is it the way Jesus acts and teaches me, shows me how to live? It's the second one. Yep, it's satisfaction. So even that first line, well, first two lines, what you, my Lord, have suffered was all for sinners gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but yours the deadly pain. So right, right there, I should, I should be suffering this, but I can't pay it. You paid it, and so I gained. It's all uh, that model of what Jesus does to help us, what he does to save us. And then the last one you'll know um, is God of grace and God of glory. I'll say it for you anyway, because it's a great hymn. Cure thy children's warring madness. Bend our pride to your control. Shame our wanton selfish gladness rich in things and poor in soul, grant us wisdom, grant us courage, lest we miss thy kingdom's goal, lest we miss thy kingdom's goal. So this idea of the moral influence, grant us wisdom, grant us courage, cure in us this, the madness we have, bend our pride, you know, continue to influence me, um, lest I miss thy kingdom's goal, right? So we have all of these uh, main uh, categories in our hymns. And for goodness sakes, you could have one hymn that had all three in it. We do a mixing of them all the time. Um, what, what do you think of these, uh, of these three sort of, these are the classic uh, categories we've given on how Jesus saves us, the work he's doing in our lives and in this world. What do you think of that? So he's all three. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think, don't you think at different times, like I said, we can't just make Jesus just for us, right? Jesus is for the world too, but just to speak personally for a moment, don't you think at different times in your life, he has, uh, one of those has come to the fore, mm -hmm. um, maybe more than others. Um, you know, I mean, it could be, you know, I don't know. It, you, I, you guys would have to tell me, but 
for example, um, with all this instability right now and all of this sort of not knowing and the feeling of, hmm, well, there, that's the word. Uh, I don't know. I think Christus Victor starts to look pretty darn important <laughs> where, you know, kind of when things are trucking along a little more on the medium path, you might not think about Christus Victor as much. Um, but right now it's like, Lord, this world with devils filled, it's threatening to undo us. <laughs> um, but you have willed your truth to triumph through us. So, uh, yeah, that, that becomes really important. Um, just so, uh, when, um, when we have really, really, really done something we can't take back, when we really have sinned and we have no idea, there's no way to fix it. Um, to come to God and, and ask for forgiveness and receive it. Uh, I think satisfaction starts to come to the fore of, um, you know, I, I wasn't owed this Lord. You know, I, I um, try to accept it as a gift, as the gift it is. Uh, so I think they can, they can come, even in our own lives, can come in and through. Now, there's been some talk. Uh, there's a lot of folks who really do not like that satisfaction one, which actually is the most popular kind of working theory in the church. They do not like it because if you take it to its end, which we've talked about in here before, all of it, all of this is to seek. All of this is to seek and to know Jesus better, right? And and John Calvin called it baby talk. All we can do back to God is goo goo ga ga. That's the best we got. So to pretend that we're going to figure all this out, a we're not, and b we don't want to. We don't want to. Hopefully, what God is doing in this world is so much bigger and deeper and broader and more powerful than what you and I can figure out in 45 minutes together. I hope that's true. And it is. Uh, but um, if you take it, so understanding that everything has its faults because it's human language, but if you take satisfaction to its natural end, it sort of says that forgiveness is a problem for God. That without that satisfaction, without somebody restoring the balance, God is miffed because his honor has been uh, dishonored. And, um, and that, so God's grace um, is conditional on that satisfaction being made. And so God sends his son into the world um, to suffer and die to make it right for God. I mean, you can, it goes, it goes to, it can go to a wonky place there where it's like, wait, um, is that, is, is the kind of grace that that's offering, does that feel like grace? Um, or what's it feel like to think that if God sent his son to die, which is when we get back to our Trinity, as Anne said, and we also get back to this, what does it mean that Jesus was fully divine? Is this really God sending his son to go get abused and harmed while God sits off safe and clean, you know? Um, or is this God sending um, his beloved son and, and being affected by all of it? 
Um, but there has been some concern about the violence of the cross and um, the violence of, you know, is that what it takes to satisfy God's honor? Um, but I don't know that those are things to answer. I think those are things to be in prayer about and things to um, ponder, you know, in, the, in our hearts, as Mary did at the birth of Jesus. I mean, to ponder them in our hearts. What does it mean, Lord, that you sent your son um, for my sin? What does that mean? Um, and then how, and then what kind of life do I live in response to it? What else you think? Satisfy God's honor. Uh-huh. I, I feel a little Say a little louder, John. I say I feel uncomfortable about that concept, as if God needed his honor satisfied. You said the uh, Lord of the manor might require it. I just don't know. God's character is such that he would, he needs that honor. Uh, that, that means that God needs us in a way that makes it kind of hard to understand. Oh, you're right. When you look at it from the other end, so then what? God can't fully be God, yeah. you know, whatever, or the honored form of God without us. Right. That, that's kind of hard to, kind of hard to get your mind around that. Mm -hmm. I do think there's some real issues with that very traditional formulation of the satisfaction model with the character of God as we know him through Jesus Christ, right? Let's go back to, this is who we know of God. We know of God through, through Jesus. Um, perhaps another version of it would be that God sent his son so that um, God would, God, God's son would fully experience everything it is to be human by doing that and by being truly, truly human and that intimate with God, you of course are going to suffer. There is no way something that godly, this is one of the arguments made, there's no way something that holy will not be an affront to this world. And so, yes, it is, it is a requirement that Jesus will suffer. Not because God's honor requires it, but because by having such goodness, such holiness in a world that struggles with both of those things, that will be the outcome. And that in, in, in sort of doing that, God redeems both. He redeems the suffering he redeems death um, by taking it in himself. And, and that kind of what satisfied um, 
I'm making this up as I go along, John. What's satisfied <clears throat> is the relationship. What's satisfied is that Jesus has shown us, here's what you had already gotten wrong about God. I want to tell you, <laughs> it's not that, um, it's not that he is distant. It's not that he is uncaring. It is not that um, insiders are in and outsiders are out. You know, I'm here to show you. And that one of the consequences of, of being that close to God is suffering. You know, and so the cross and the violence of that are not because God willed it, but they are because God means to put an end to all crosses. <laughs> well, I think it shows us how much God loves us. I think the whole, you know, when I think of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I think of love. Not that I show it, but, I, you know, I think he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. And loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son into a world where he knew what that meant. Right. And did it anyway. Isn't that part of the uh, reconciliation process? You know, fully human, fully God, you know, I mean, uh, fully divine. I mean, isn't that, uh, so what is the, what is the problem? I mean, because I think it's, uh, isn't it kind of a foregone conclusion? It is part of the process to, is it not to, or, you know, you're, you're trying to reconcile the fully human part and he you know he gave his son so he could so he could uh show us you know, yeah you're back to your cliff right you're back to your cliff with the chasm in between and perhaps you know who do people say that i am who do you say that i am lord i mean thomas said you're the way or no he said to thomas he said i'm the way right so at the very and the truth and the life so at the very most basic, it's like, he's the bridge and he's the route and he's the way. Like if I want to, if I want to know what God's reign looks like, if I want to be a part of what God's doing even here and now and in the next life, then there, he's my way. He gets me across that chasm. He shows me, um, well, isn't it for us? I only had to do it, but I mean, he shows me what it can look like. This reconciliation process, that's for us. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Does, do we need the reconciliation or does God? Well, <laughs> I have. That's the point. Mm -hmm. God doesn't need it. Yeah. God appreciates. Yeah. Yeah, I think this, I, I think, I, I, I agree with John. It's, it's hard for me to get my mind into the and I just think that it's part of the process you know it's part of what God was trying to tell us mm -hmm. what's the point of sending his son mm -hmm. if uh, if and, and so forth if uh, if it's not to show us the way to reconciliation with God well and, and oh you got me all excited there Ron because what if we go back to our parent image right yeah. which if your parents were awful please don't go to the parent image but it's like the closest thing we have. So, so you could have a child who it's like, you've never not loved this child. And I mean, they've given you every reason not to, right? But you cannot not. You have never not loved this child. You are not the one who needs the reconciliation, although you would love the relationship, right? So there's that distinction. 
I, I desire the relationship, but I don't need to be reconciled to you. I have always loved you, but you do need the child. You would love for the child to have the experience to know that you have never not loved them. Right? So what God receives is the relationship, Right. but God doesn't need the rec. I mean, <laughs> we're talking here, right? But God doesn't need the reconciliation because God never stopped, but we need it. We're like, Oh, you probably hate me. Oh, I, I, I snuck out of the house so many times. You don't even know, you know, whatever. Uh, the child, um, the child needs to know they're reconciled. The parent who never stopped loving um, doesn't necessarily need to know that if they never stopped loving. You know, um, that's interesting. That, that, that's good, Ron. I mean, uh, fully human, fully divine. I mean, I don't, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, well, I'm only human. Do what? Only human. Who sings that? A flesh and blood. But you have the Holy Spirit working. <laughs> well, that's right. That, that's what we're going to see. Anne's made my transition for us because it's almost 11 o'clock. But that's right. In Jesus. what I just said. Yes. Oh, it's okay. In Jesus. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, so Jesus can, in his true humanity, can also show us what our true humanity can look like. And then with the working of the Holy Spirit, there can be this now and not yet. There is, there, what, what we call it is, um, there is, there are the gifts of being Christian. It has a different name. There's, um, there's these gifts of being a Christian. There's some that are not yet. But there's some that are right now benefits. The benefits of being Christian, there are some that are not yet, but there are some that are right now. It is, it is different in our lives to be Christian now, not just heaven, right? There's benefits here and now as well. And that's the working of the Holy Spirit, which is next week. <laughs> next week, next week, next week, next week. So come back next week. Um, if you had know anybody who might like to listen to this later, we do put these on our podcast. So it'll be on there by like Tuesday. Um, if, ever, if you know anybody who might like to listen to any of these. So, okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to cut you off. It's 11 o'clock. Some people are going to go tune into worship. So thank you. Thank you guys so much. Good thank you. you. As you can tell from this conversation together, we could talk so much more about the person and work of Jesus Christ in our own lives and in this world. Come back next week when we will talk about the Holy Spirit. Be with you then. Peace. <laughs>